This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. But you hold on to the strongest in your life in the way of the of the treasures of this world. Those are the things that become as bitter as wormwood in your life. They become the, the, the situation of, of stumbling in your life. They become a trap for the growth of your spiritual life. They become suddenly that hindrance, that weight that so easily besets us or slows us down. Jesus told us that where we lay up our treasure is where our heart will be also. A lot can be said about how we spend our money. It's pretty easy to see what we value if we start to follow where our money goes. Is all your money spent on entertainment? Or is it spent on trinkets? Or do you just hoard your money like a miser? If we love the Lord and our treasure is in Him, then we will become a cheerful giver. It won't be a begrudging effort, but we will love bless others. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 5, with today's study. Does that mean that they were lost? Does that mean that they were no longer saved? No. But that means they kind of lost their direction. They lost their focus. They lost their drive and their passion. Oh, that every one of us, myself included, that passion of the first saved, of the newly saved, man, freshly knowing my sin is forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. But I've got a job to do while I'm here. And as long as I'm here, I want to serve him. I want to be a light for him. I want to, I want to, man, I want to blast through the darkness that's here. I want to be used by the Lord in every aspect of my life. And the things of this world just really don't matter anymore. As in the days of old, as in the former days. But then he says in verse 5, I will, and I will come near you for what? Judgment. Wait a minute, Pastor. I'm saved. I don't get judged anymore. No. Your works are going to be judged. Wood, hay, and stubble. Gold, silver. Precious metal. That's going to be judged. Some of our entire lives are going to be burned up like that. And we'll be saved, though, as by fire, the word says. It says that it'll be a swift witness. But here he says... He's going to come in judgment against the sorcerers. It's interesting, the, the very word sorcerers there in the Hebrew is those who whisper spells. Whisper spells. Against adulterers, I think we know what those are. Against false swearers or perjurers. And again, a really interesting word there. The word that, that is uh, translated as perjurers or false swearers in your translation, in the Hebrew, uh, it, it has the concept of, catch this, it's a weird phrase, seven one's self, to seven one's self. You think, well, what in the world does that mean? That means, in other words, you are repeating a declaration seven times in testifying that what you're saying is true. So, in other words, you repeat it seven times with, again, making that declaration that what I'm saying is true. And if it's not true, then you are a false swearer. 
to swear your testimony. We go to the courts today. We swear that our testimony will be true. And what happens if it's not true? We are perjurers. We are false swearers. God judges against that. He says, I'm going to judge against those who exploit wage earners. And again, the thought and the idea, that idea, uh, and I love the word pictures of it. It says, those that drink up the wages of the laborers and of the widows and of the orphans. In other words, yes, I, I've got all of this and it, it's due you as, as a laborer, but you know what? I'm going to keep it to myself. And so they're not, they're not dealing fairly with, with even the people that either work for them or even with the widows and the orphans. And what does James say that pure and undefiled religion is this? But that you care for who? The widows and the orphans. You see, that's a New Testament and an Old Testament declaration there. Problems in both. Do you think that maybe there were still problems in the New Testament with dealing with widows and orphans? Absolutely there were. Do you think today there's problems with dealing with widows and orphans? Absolutely. I don't think that we, you know, that's the, the there are some jobs that the church ought to shine in. That the church ought to be the one that's taking care of these things. And you know what? Earlier on in this country, that's exactly the way it was. Also in England, earlier on, that's the way it was. Orphanages were run by Christian organizations or by churches. But states got it now, right? Yeah, the states got it. No, I think we shirk our responsibility by not being involved in those things. Against those who turn away an alien, a foreigner, even a stranger, for those that turn away. And you've got to think, you've got to understand, again, the mind, the concept of Israel in that day. Israel in that day had been told when they came out of Egypt to go into this land and destroy everyone else, destroy all these other tribes because of their wickedness, because of their vileness, because of their paganism, because generation after generation after generation they had been involved in these practices. And God said, you need to clear them out. And so Israel got this mind, this concept then, that anything that wasn't Jewish was bad. And you don't deal with that at all. But now we're talking, well, you've, you've taken that so far that now a stranger has come into your midst, a foreigner has come into your midst, an alien has come in your midst, and, and you're turning them away. You're, 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 you're refusing to help them and assist them. And he says that those who do sorcery, those that do adultery, those who are perjurers, those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, those who turn away the aliens, they all do that. Why? Because they do not fear God. Because they do not fear me. And, and we've, we've talked about that many times, this whole idea of fearing God. What does it mean to fear God? It's not that we're, you know, shielding ourselves because we're afraid God's going to whack us at every turn. But it's that awesomeness of who God is. It's the reality of his greatness, his majesty, his power, all that's, all that's real about God. And because of that, I want to be found obedient to him. I don't want to be obedient because he's going to whack me. I want to be obedient because he is God and he's given me life. Because even as a believer now, because of, again, the love that, that 
he has demonstrated to us in giving Christ. I want to be obedient. I want to serve him out of love. But these, man, they have no fear. They have no love. And there's going to be swift action that comes. In verse 6. Now, you got to catch this. Up here in verse 5, he's talked about all of his judgment coming against. It's going to be a swift witness. It's going to be a swift judgment. But then in verse 6, for I am Jehovah, I am the Lord, I do not change. In other words, it's not that God just finally got tired of the bad people and so finally he's going to do it. No, that was his plan. That was his, that, that's the direction he was going all along because now you look at his uh, understanding of, of Israel, the sons of Jacob. He says, because I do not change, Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And i got to read this, but you say, in what way shall we return? In other words, what they're saying, what do you mean, I'm gone? Where did I go? I'm right here. And again, it's that, that, that foolishness of, of, of them again questioning God's judgment and correction on their lives. He said, you better be glad that I don't change. Because otherwise, I would have wiped you out a long time ago. But because I am gracious and merciful and long-suffering, and because I did call you as a people to myself, because even as I shared the other day, he, he, is, he is betrothed to them as, again, his bride. He says, therefore, I will not destroy you. But this whole idea about returning. If you'll return to me, I'll return to you. Well, what does that mean? Again, for 400 years, there was no return. For 400 years, God says, okay, I'm here, but I'm here. I'm not here with you. I'm not walking. I'm not in that relationship with you. That's the very thing that Emmanuel means. God with us. When, when Christ came, that's that, that's the, the, the utmost importance of that, that title that he has is now God is with us again. Where for 400 years, God was away from us. Why? Because they didn't repent. They didn't turn even after Malachi Declare these things. Now, understand, I understand, hopefully you understand, God always has a remnant. God always has a remnant. That's why on the day that they came in and they did the dedication of Jesus in the temple, that's why Anna and Simeon were there and they were excited about it. And when they saw, man, the consolation of Israel, wow, this is the one we've been praying for. But there, that's not the whole nation. That was only a few. God said, return to me, I'll return to you. But for the most part, the people says, I didn't even know I was gone. I didn't even know things were different. I'm going to church. I'm attending Bible study. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But there's no relationship. There's no relationship there. And that's what God is saying. I have written beside that, clueless. They're clueless. He goes on, though. Because there's more that he has against the nation. In verse 8 he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. Now you've got to stop and think of that craziness of that. Going up and robbing God. Robbing God. 
That's like going up to, no, it's not, I mean, a, a small idea of that is like going up to Fort Knox and saying, hey, I'm going to steal stuff out of Fort Knox. You're not going to get away with that. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to get away with that. And yet, they dared to rob God. And yet they questioned, well, in what way have we robbed you? And what is God's answer here, folks? In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. Ah, but we're in the New Testament, so we don't need to deal with the tithe anymore. We're free from the tithe. Well, we're free from the law, but let me throw on you here a just a, a principle of godly giving, of spiritual giving. Are we tied to the tithe? Well, first of all, let's ask a question. What is the tithe? Some people would say, well, that's 10% of your income. Then the argument or the question is, well, is that 10% of net or 10% of gross? Is that 10% of what I have left over after I buy the groceries, pay the electric bill, buy shoes for the kids and everything else? Is that then 10% of that? Where is it? What did God tell Israel at the very beginning? The first fruits, 10% off the top from the very beginning, from the very get-go. Now, again, we're going to Israel, okay? So don't anybody freak, okay? I'm not going to come through and ask what your wages are, okay? We're not going there, okay? Some of you have come out of that. We don't need to go back there. So uh, so that's what a tithe is. But you need to understand that in the economy of Israel, the tithe was just the beginning because they also gave various offerings off of other things, Various things. As a matter of fact, some have gone through and calculated and said it would not be uncommon for a devout Jew to be literally giving to the Lord 25% of everything that they have. 25%. Now stop and think of that for a moment. Wow, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. God really wouldn't require that of me. I want to blow your mind here for a second. God requires all of it from you. All of it. Not just 10%, not just 25%. God requires all of it. Because he requires you and I to be a steward of everything we have for his glory. For his glory. The difference between a tithe and an offering, a tithe is usually that that is more along the idea of a, a, a designated or a set amount. An offering is that that's above and beyond that tithe. We get into the New Testament. What's the requirement there? Paul gives it to us really easily. I love what he says. He says, man, as the Lord lays it on your heart, give. As the Lord lays it on your heart, give. I want to tell you one thing. I am so blessed that I have absolutely no idea what anybody gives. You could be the hugest giver in our fellowship. You could be the non-giver of our fellowship. I don't know the difference, and I am so glad about that. Because then I can go through and teach messages like this. I don't need to worry about offending anybody because I don't know what anybody gives. And I don't need to worry about puffing somebody up because I don't know what anybody gives. But you know what? There's two things I believe that the New Testament requires of us. Is that we seek the Lord out. Say, Lord, if back then you you said a tithe being 10% of what we had of the first fruits, we're no longer under that law. We're free to give. We're free to give to the uttermost. We can give 
I like what one pastor says, you're free to give a whole lot more than that. Okay? But the other thing that he says is that God loves a cheerful giver. That we ought to be literally hilarious when we give, not begrudging. Oh, man. Ah, I got that bonus the other day. Man, do I have to tithe on that bonus? Let me call the pastor. Pastor, I got this bonus. Do I have to tithe on this bonus? Let me tell you this. You don't have to tithe on any of it. God loves a cheerful giver. Where's your heart? Is it something that God gave you that you want to bless him back with? Again, it, it, it deals it deals a whole lot on how strong you hold on to the things of the world and how much you say, you know what? I'm the Lord's, and all that I have is the Lord's. Time, talent, treasures, all of those things. He says, in what way have you robbed me? You robbed me in tithes and offerings. So you know what? You are now cursed with a curse. For you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Do you think you can get away with cheating God? I don't think you can. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Try me and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and Pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That is a great, great word from the Lord. But you know what? I have heard that so misused on uh, the name it, claim it, uh, wealth, uh, you know, uh, whatever they grab it, blab it uh, group that says, you know what? If you'll just send me, send our ministry more money. We are praying God's blessing on you. And so they, 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 they suck people in to giving more. Well, God's word says he's going to bless me if I do this. And so I'm going to do that. Please stop. Stop. Understand what the Lord is saying right here. Look at what he says in verse 11 and 12. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. You see, if we are grudging in our begrudging in our giving, in our stewardship of the things of God, I think that's when suddenly we see that there's holes in our pockets. Suddenly we see that, wow, you know, I just bought a new tire. This one just now I got to get another one. This thing happened. This thing happened. Now, will those things happen also? Yeah, we're in a fallen world, and I understand that. So don't suddenly put yourself on a guilt trip because the pastor said that if I had to send my car to the shop, then I must not be honest with God. That's not what I'm saying, okay? What I'm saying is, you can't cheat God. You can't hold on to something that isn't really yours. And I believe that God is blessed in your life and in my life when we try to outgive Him. They say that J.C. Penney, who was a Christian man, by the time he passed away, was living on 10%. 
and giving away 90. There's another man, uh, Laterno, thank you. Uh, Laterno, the same way. Christian man, businessman. And he just continually through his life started out giving 10, 15, 20, living on less, giving more, living less, giving more. Lived on 10% the rest of his days and was giving away 90% of his income. You think that's possible? Yeah. Yeah. When you think, when you think of our lives, and, and, and again, please, 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 please understand me. Anytime a pastor starts preaching these, there's always people that say, oh, yeah, I know what he's doing that for. He wants to get the funds up. The, the Lord is blessing the fellowship. Doesn't mean that we don't have any needs, but the Lord is blessing the fellowship. That's not where this is going. Where this is going in your own heart. But you hold on to the strongest in your life in the way of the of the treasures of this world. Those are the things that become as bitter as wormwood in your life. They become the, the, the situation of, of stumbling in your life. They become a trap for the growth of your spiritual life. They become suddenly that hindrance, that weight that so easily besets us or slows us down. God never has blessed us as a family with, with great riches. He probably knows I would blow it, okay? But ever since we were first married, we determined in our heart that we would be faithful in giving, in giving to the Lord, in giving to His church. And we've seen God's hand over and over and over. Has there been times of want, times of need? Yeah, but it hasn't been that bad. It hasn't been that bad. The thing that I know that God is, remains faithful. We've never had to beg for bread. Well, maybe I've asked you a couple of times if you'd make bread, but uh, uh, really, God is taking care of us. You know what God says here? Put me to the test. Try me now, he says. Try me. In other words, be faithful in your giving. Be hilarious in your giving. Pray, see where I need to, again, be in my life in these things. He says, try me now and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there'll be not room enough to receive it. I'm going to, again, stop right there and I might say, you may end up being the most broke person in this fellowship but you're going to have less things holding you down in your relationship with Christ. That That's the principle of the deal here. That's the principle of it, is that whatever is holding us down. I love the fact, he says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Is God able to do that? For 40 years, the children of Israel wandered around the wilderness their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out. They, hey, okay, they didn't. They didn't have you know uh, steak every day. It was manna, and enough quail to come out your nose. But uh, God took care of them. God took care of them. God's able to do that. Elijah sitting there after he's uh, man, he's run all night. He's exhausted. He's collapsed. He's hungry. No food. What happens? God provides food. By Air, Air Express brings it right in. Okay, God's able to do those things. Let's move on. 
Verse 13, I love it. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. And yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And then he says, you've said it's useless to serve God. What profit is it if we've kept his ordinance? And that we've walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. From the book of Hosea to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. The twelve minor prophets are rich with important prophecies, some pertaining to things that have already happened and some pertaining to things that are yet to come. Join us as Pastor David teaches through these books verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Make sure and check out our Facebook page, log on to theopenword.com, and then follow the link to the Open Word Facebook page. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.